and the clock has started. Hey everybody, welcome back to Relationships Through the Looking Glass. This is Michelle and we are doing episode 17, episode 17. Today we're going to be talking about trouble in paradise and looking at what relationships look like when you start to get out of that honeymoon phase and start hitting some conflict. But the unique element of this conversation, because for the month of October, we're focusing on domestic violence awareness to highlight domestic violence awareness month is individuals who have been in abusive relationships in their past or have a repeat abusive relationships. How to determine if when you were in a new relationship, if you're bringing in that baggage from previous abusive relationships, are you actually in fact in a situation that can turn abusive? So it's, it's a pretty deep conversation. I'm excited to have the team I have today kind of talk about it. I will state for transparency that everyone on this call is either a certified or licensed counselor and or therapist. So, but I also want you to note that no information here is meant for self-diagnosis. Any mental health terms is specifically for education and awareness. And if you feel like you are having any type of challenges within the realms that we speak of, we definitely suggest that you seek out your professional mental health specialist in your area. So with that being said, I'm going to introduce Arnell, otherwise known as our wildcard therapist, back to Wonderland. And I'm ecstatic to have him back. He was on our previous episode about friends after a breakup, and he was team friends. He was on my team. Woohoo! So Arnell, I'm going to ask you to come to the mic and let us know why you think it's important for victims, previous victims, to understand the difference between a healthy relationship when they go through struggles in a relationship that might turn abusive. Oh, thank you for that, Michelle. I'm glad to be back. Um, I think the main reason for them to know the difference, um, just so they don't normalize those, I guess, abusive tendencies that their partner may have. And once that becomes normal, you know, unlearning that those tendencies or getting unused to that is a difficult process to go through. And it tends to spread down. If you have children, then, you know, your children end up picking up on it and so forth. And it just becomes, you know, a cycle of getting in and out of these abusive relationships. So I guess the key is just to, the point of them knowing the difference is just to be able to recognize those signs and, you know, when they see them to get out of those relationships. Right, right. Absolutely. And that's why this conversation I feel is so important for a lot of people, because if you look at the statistics, right, one in four women, one in seven men, will find themselves in some type of abusive relationship in their lifetime. And everybody listening, I'm not just talking about physical abuse. There's so much more to abuse than just physical. There's psychological, there's spiritual, there's emotional, there's financial, there's sexual. So we want to understand the scope or we would like awareness of the scope and not to minimize someone else's experience. If someone ever says, well, he never hit me, so it's not that big of a deal. Yes, yes it is. And sometimes that psychological and emotional abuse can have much more longer impacts than the physical. So we definitely don't wanna minimize anybody else's experience. And we're hoping that the dialogue today will kind of bring some information in for anyone who's listening about what a healthy relationship is while they're going through struggle, but what a 
potential abusive relationship is as well. And I'm going to ask Keisha to come to the mic now in her definition or explanation and views on why she feels it's important to know the difference between a potentially abusive relationship and just a relationship that's going through challenges. Um, well, hello, everybody, again. Um, I think it's important to know it so that you don't sabotage a good relationship, for one. <laughs> and um, two, just to know, you know, the difference will also help you not stay in a bad situation. Okay. And that makes that makes perfect sense. So to get started in this conversation, when we're talking about trouble in paradise, so say you feel you're in a healthy relationship, everybody has that honeymoon phase, right? This person's so perfect. Nothing can go wrong. I want to talk to you every freaking day. I want to talk to you all day. I want to see you when you wake up and when you go to bed and I want to, yeah. So... Once that part is over with, right, that infatuation part, like this person can do no wrong, and we start to actually hit the, where the rubber meets the road and we are in the actual relationship piece and we start to hit challenges, what are some things when you think of that, Arnell? So think back to when you were in your last relationship, when you transitioned out that honeymoon phase into the actual grit of the relationship, what were some things that started to happen that kind of allowed you to transition to say, oh, we're not in the honeymoon phase anymore. This is like a for real deal thing. And not saying people listening, not saying if you're in the honeymoon of the relationship, it's not a real deal thing. I'm not saying that at all. But there is a definite difference between that infatuation phase to transitioning into that everyday long-term aspect of a relationship. So Arnell, the last time you were in a relationship, when it came out of that honeymoon phase, what were some things that you noticed that happened um, that kind of flagged you? <laughs> oh, there's the laugh. <laughs> um, you start getting aggravated. You notice, you know, you notice all the little quirks that the person has that, you know, kind of annoy you or aggravate you. you know, those rose-colored glasses are off. You're, they're no longer perfect. So you start seeing, you know, the little things that annoy you, you know, maybe they don't pick up their clothes or maybe, you know, they just leave stuff lying around or maybe it's a certain way they say certain words that, you know, you didn't really pick up on before. Those, you know, those little annoyances you start to notice. Like saying L in Salmon? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or... <laughs> I never noticed way... that before about you. Yeah. And it's but for not... me, it was like, with one person, it was a certain way they said Walmart. I couldn't. How I couldn't did they it. say it? They said it with a K at the end. What? Like, yeah, it's Walmart. You're like, you know what? I can't do this. No, we got to break up. <laughs> I've never heard that. Yeah, I've heard the break. S behind Aldi. I've heard uh, Walmart. That's Walmart. Ew, I hate it. <laughs> exactly. We had to break up. Couldn't do it. <laughs> I'm literally breaking up like that. Over Walmart. <laughs> what? Dude, the first time I would have heard that, I would have just been like, is this a joke? This is a joke. <laughs> like, you did not. You did not. It's like strawberry. Like, don't. It's over. It's over. <laughs> but, but all jokes aside, because I can go on that forever. But you're right, right? These little things start to annoy you. Like, like you said, leaving things around. And you're like, why didn't I notice this before? Like, had, had she ever said Walmart before? 
when you guys were in the honeymoon phase and you just ignored it? I think I just ignored it. I didn't pay it much attention. Oh, like it was it was too good at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Keisha, then- what about you? Uh, what are some things for you when you're in a relationship where you can definitely say, okay, we are no longer in that honeymoon or infatuation phase? Um, I think when we <laughs> just kind of freely tell each other how we feel about stuff, like, uh, you know what I'm saying? I think it's, that's when you know you're not in the honeymoon stage where you just, you can go to the bathroom in front of that person or you can, <laughs> like, when I say go to the bathroom in front of a person, not literally, but, you know, you don't feel like nervous. For some really people, to go. literally, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when you can freely, you know, tell the person how you feel and sometimes it's telling the person how you feel without being as gentle as you would normally be um, when you were in the honeymoon stages or uh, overlooking some things that really bothers you. But now that you're past the honeymoon stages, now you're speaking up a little bit more about it, which makes the your partner feel like, well, why didn't you say this before? You know, I didn't say it because we was in the honeymoon stage. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's when I believe you know that you're not there anymore. Right, right. And I think for me, I would just agree with what you both said. Like, when things start to annoy you, like how you're chewing. Sorry. (laughs) I just had a flashback. It was so cute in the beginning. (laughs) Like all the things that you thought were so cute. Oh, it's so cute how you chew like that. Now it's like, I swear I will freaking throw this. Yes. Understood. Yeah, like so stuff starts to annoy you. Or like Keisha said, now I'm using the bathroom in front of you. I'm farting in front of you. Like we're no longer in the honeymoon phase. Like I'm not gonna lie. Like I'm not gonna sit here and let my bubble guts explode. Like if I I will tell you you want you want Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Like females fart, man. It's not like we don't freaking fart. I can't stand that whole oh I thought that was a myth. We sprinkle, we, we sprinkle with the glitter, or like I'm about to blow this bathroom up. Like I don't know what else to tell you. I'm not gonna sit here and be in hurt. But um, that's how you know we're not in the honeymoon phase for me, right? Yeah. So it's it's a transition. But when it becomes an issue is when we are hyper vigilant, and that is a symptom of post traumatic stress, right? Hyper vigilance where you are specifically zoning in on things that feel abusive because you're on guard from from it, right? So I'm gonna talk to you first, Arnell. So you you have somebody who's been in multiple abusive relationships. And like Keisha said, you wanna check this stuff because you don't wanna damage a potential healthy one because you're looking for something to go wrong. So you're in this hypervigilance mode what are some things that we can tell people who are in that mode to be, be careful on not identifying healthy coping skills with abusive ones? Does that make sense? That makes sense. So for somebody in, I guess, in that situation for me, you know, one thing I would do is first off go over, I guess, some of the, I guess, 
telltale signs of abuse just to find out if, you know, whether that person or their partner is actually just trying to engage them in a healthy conversation or healthy relationship practices or, you know, if is actual abuse. So psychoeducation would be the first step. So, you know, is that person, you know, hypercritical of you? Um, do they humiliate you? Do they blame you for everything? Do they try to isolate you? You know, just different things you'd see in a, an abusive relationship. If none of that is really there, then, you know, we'll just start talk, talking about, you know, what actual healthy coping skills in a relationship look like, just providing that education for them so they know what they're looking at. Because when you're hypervigilant, you know, everything kind of looks like, you know, it's coming at you because you're on edge. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing that's so, you know, interesting, especially right now, the, the, the word that people like to throw around right now is everybody's a narcissist or everybody's gaslighting. And I think sometimes because the overusage of a word takes away the significance of it. I think every, almost every client, when I have to do an assessment, one of the questions is about mental health. And of course, every time it comes to the individual, they're narcissist. So I'll mm -hmm. always have to say, or yeah, they're crazy. And I'll always have to say, have they been diagnosed? Or is this your opinion? And it's always, oh, this is my opinion. But then when we're back together again, he's not the narcissist or she's not crazy. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like being aware, like you said, Arnell, about the, the educational aspect of it. Everybody's not a narcissist. Just because someone doesn't agree with you, there's actually behaviors that associate with certain personality disorders. And just because somebody disagrees with you or isn't doing what you want them to do, you want to be careful that you're not categorizing somebody as something that they're not. And I'm going to go to Keisha on this one. Wouldn't you agree like the terms narcissistic and gaslighting and these phrases have been used in the wrong context for a lot of things? Yes, I definitely agree with you and um, Arnell as well. I do believe um, they've been used in the wrong context as well. I just totally agree. Y'all have added so much. I don't know what more I can add to that. Um, but I totally agree as well as um, when Arnell was saying about identifying, you know, positive coping skills and, you know, going through all of that. I agree. I don't have nothing else to add to that. I just totally agree with this. Awesome. And it's, it's really something that we want anybody listening. We're not trying to minimize anybody's experience, but we want to make sure that especially victims are able to determine the difference between healthy coping skills, health, healthy conflict resolution versus abusive. So when I talk about abusive, there are some commonalities that highly abusive behaviors would suggest that you're on the right track, right? So imagine this. So if you're listening, close your eyes and imagine you're walking down the road, a road and with this new partner, not your old partner, your new partner, you, you still have some baggage from the other relationship. Absolutely. And then you get to this fork in the road with the first conflict in that relationship. It's a fork in the road. You're going to look at your experience. You're going to look through your lens to determine, is this abusive or is this just a, a, a conflict that we have to resolve and we can do it healthy. But if you're going to be looking through the lens of the trauma that you experienced before, there's going to be a high, a higher um, chance that you're going to start pin 
saying things that look abusive, like, oh, he's a narcissistic individual too. Oh, you're gaslighting me. Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. When the individual might be trying to hold a conversation. So there are some behaviors. If you looked at, if you look at, um, suspectology, I call it suspectology, victimology, but there are some characteristics that you do want to look for that might flag an abusive tendency. Okay. So if you're listening, pay close attention because there are some commonalities in these behaviors. One of them is this person has an entitlement. There's an entitlement to them. And there's actually a typology of an abuser that falls into the line entitlement. This person feels that you owe them something or the world owes them, right? That's number one. Easily justifies their actions. That's a huge one. And I think I've seen this in almost every offender that I've worked with who isn't trying to, to do anything to improve their behaviors where they justify and they do it quickly. Well, if she didn't do this, so why did you do this? Well, if he didn't do this, there's no time in between the question and the answer, right? So they are easily justifying their actions, controlling. Okay. And that's a self, that's, that's pretty self-explanatory. Ignores boundaries. That's another one. If you tell somebody to stop doing it and they keep doing it, if you tell somebody to stop touching me, stop calling me, stop coming, and they still do it, that's, a, that's something you want to be aware of. They're, they act immature or sh and show little empathy. And those go hand in hand. Acting immature with little empathy. Empathy meaning they are unable to put themselves in someone else's situation. They believe traditional excessively now, okay? because I'm not trying to have anybody from the church call me. They excessively believe in traditional male and female stereotypes and gender roles, and they look for or create opportunities to cause abuse and conflict, okay? So those are actually commonalities that we see in abusers. So if you are with somebody and you see some of this, like, why did you do this? And the person has no problem giving you an answer extremely quick, or they don't take accountability. These are some signs that this person might be abusive. Now, you can't look at one thing and make that determination. You have to look at the whole scope of the individual and the actions, but little nuggets, right? You wanna be aware of. Because what we don't want to do is have somebody questioning an abusive partner and thinking they're making something out of nothing. And I always tell everybody, if you feel something is off, it's off. Like, don't let this podcast, don't let a website you go to, don't let a family member tell you you're not in danger. If you feel you're in danger, you're in danger, right? And I tell that to everybody, even when you're doing safety plans, orders of protection, restraining orders, those are all paper. At the end of the day, you and solely you are responsible for your safety. So I definitely want to throw that caveat in there. But going back to Arnell, when you have dealt with any type of family dynamic where there's abuse, were there any commonalities that you've seen in your practicing? Oh, yes. Um, the controlling behavior, definitely. Um, Usually the partner is really jealous. Um, isolation, 
they would tend to isolate, you know, their partners, you know, from family, from friends to where that person had to be totally dependent on them for everything. See, other common ones, um, everything would be that person's fault. Like they get blamed for everything. Like it was never the, the partner's fault. It was always that individual's fault. So yeah, really those are a lot of the common things that I see with the patients I work with, the common behaviors of abusers. Absolutely. And um, Keisha, how about you? Are there any, in, in your in your working within families, are there any dynamics that you've seen when abuse was a part of that dynamic that seemed to be a thread through a lot of them? Um, yes, um, I can speak from families that I've dealt with in private practice, and I can also speak from my own personal experience. Unfortunately, I was once involved in a abusive relationship when I was much younger in college. And um, some familiarities I would say would be um, the isolation part where hiding um, scars, um, believing what the abuser is saying, like when you were speaking on earlier, you know, if you didn't do this, I wouldn't do that. And so after hearing that so much, you begin to operate in a way where, okay, um, it is my fault. Well, maybe I should have did this, or maybe I shouldn't do that. And so you begin acting um, definitely not like yourself, and you're trying to do everything to please this person so that the abuse wouldn't happen again, when actually it is not. It wasn't my fault, and it's not anybody else's fault who have been abused or who are currently getting abused it is the abuser you know and i've noticed just like what you were saying they don't think about their answer when you ask them a question like well why and you know i didn't do anything they immediately respond with no empathy and so what i've seen with um families is you know it, a lot of them and i don't know if it's built on culture where they feel like okay you just be quiet and do what the man says you know you just do what he says you know just make sure you take care of your duties and don't question him if he's leaving at night because you question him, this is why he slapped you or this is why he did this. So I've seen, um, I've actually dealt with a family where it was more than one family member within that one big family who were getting abused. And, you know, they had a hard time identifying that, hey, this is not right. Yes, this might be something that you saw your aunt deal with or your grandma deal with, but this is not normal. And it's not your fault that this person is treating you that way. So, um, yes, I, I've, I've seen the, um, the familiarities, I can't even get the word out, you know, within families. And I know from my own personal experience, um, what I've, you know, encountered too, unfortunately. Absolutely. And um, one thing I want to highlight was the victim blaming a lot of victims here when there's a generational violent family dynamic, generational meaning mom experienced it, grandma experienced it, aunt experienced it. It's just something that flooded throughout the family. So that's really not a big deal. So-and-so dealt with it and she's fine. So those are all areas too that just heighten the likelihood of somebody re-victimizing or being re-victimized in new relationships. Now we highlighted the areas 
that are absolutely on the wrong road that that on that fork in the road that I spoke about earlier those behaviors are absolutely putting you down the abusive road but what are some behaviors that are just healthy coping skills that just don't feel good because let's be honest conflict doesn't feel good even in a healthy relationship conflict doesn't feel good so I'm going to go to Arnell first what are some what are some behaviors that could actually be in a healthy relationship, but for somebody who's been abused might look at it as being abusive? So Arnell, that question's for you. Um, challenging, you know, challenging your partner, you know, just on anything, not necessarily being overly aggressive, but maybe not agreeing with something they're doing and calling them on it. You know, they mainly the conflict. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it may lead to conflict or it may lead to a healthy discussion, but you know, that's something that can make somebody who's been abused, you know, feel as if they're being attacked. So right. challenging them, right. challenging them on things. Um, I think that'd probably be a major one because anything else, like, you know, sometimes when we do get into discussion, oh, thinking about a couple I was working with they get into discussions, you know, as we get into discussions and we get into things, sometimes our voice will get louder. Well, for somebody that's been through abuse, abuse, that excitement in the discussion can be taken as, you know, you're yelling at them and cause them to shut down. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's a big one. That's so that's another one. one that we may not be even aware that we're doing, but, you know, actually happens. Those are, those are a few. And what about you, Keisha? Same question. What are some coping or conflict uh behaviors that you see that might be in healthy relationships but somebody who has been abused might take it as abuse or abusive um horse flame believe it or not um raising of voices um i would say when it's a conflict of hand like a negative conflict of the person is pacing back and forth I know for me I'm speaking from my personal experience um those are some flags or some alerts for me like okay um you know is this going to be a good situation or not and I'm a therapist and I'm able to you know help other people and help guide other folks to um positive conflict management as, as well as negative conflict management, but I'm still human. So because of my own personal experience, you know, it definitely makes me think, you know. So it's, I guess, getting to know that person and knowing yourself and knowing what are triggers for you personally and not being afraid to share that with your partner. You know, and share with your partner that, you know, you've been once in a um, abusive relationship so that they are aware. Yeah. That's you know, and if you meet someone who's going to take advantage of that, then that's not the person for you. You know, sharing that with them is not for some the opposite person to take advantage of that. You know, they should be welcoming and understanding and be aware of your triggers as well. Absolutely. So I think that's major. That is major. And actually, uh, the next episode this month is going to be about how to love a survivor because that's a very, um, oof, that's a very vulnerable <clears throat> space to be in when you decide to share your abusive past with your new partner. Cause you don't know 
how they're going to act. You don't know how they're, if they're going to look at you differently. Um, or like you said, are they going to, are they going to use it against you? Are they going to, you know, hold it over your head? Well, you don't know. And then for somebody who's very, who presents themselves in a certain way to have to trust somebody enough to say, this is my past, this is my history, and this is why I do some of the things I do. It's definitely something that you really want to have that dialogue in your relationship, especially if some behaviors are causing conflict. But I also understand that that is a very unique and um, vulnerable space to be in when you do share that. So we're going to do a whole episode about that next week. One thing for me and some of the behaviors, um, like when somebody ignores me or shuts down and ignores me, like I'll withhold attention. This is going to sound so spoiled, but hear me out. Like withholding attention from me is a trigger and it comes back from having to fight for it for so, you know, in, in certain abusive dynamics um, because it was held as a form of abuse, right? That's that psychological aspect or the yelling and profanity. For me, profanity is huge. Now for other people, it's not, right? So this is where if somebody is, is using profanity against me and it's a difference, Using profanity, I, I'm, I don't use it. And if I do, it's very limited. So when somebody's using profanity just talking, that's different. If somebody's using profanity to, at me, calling me whatever, whatever, to me, that's abusive. But to somebody else or the person doing it, it might not be because that just, that might be how they talk. But I find it extremely disrespectful and extremely abusive. So... I would, it would, it would be up to me to say, don't talk to me like that. You know what I'm saying? But then that sounds like somebody's challenging somebody like Arnell's, um, example, right? So it's such of it. Relationships are complicated anyway, but when you have a dynamic of somebody or both individuals having an abusive past, it can make it so much more dense and hard to work through. So like Keisha was saying, being able to identify what behaviors might be a possible trigger for a trauma response is imperative, is imperative. So like I said, using profanity, Arnell said challenging, um, Keisha said pacing, like some of these things might be somebody else's coping skill for dealing with conflict, but for somebody who's been abused, it could be a, a, a heads up or a flag that this person might be abusive. So my next question is, what are some suggestions? And we kind of hinted on it already, but what are some suggestions that you would give people to be able to determine if this is a potential abuse of situation, or this is just a conflict within a healthy connection? What are some suggestions other than what we just talked about with um, letting somebody know your abusive past? But what are some other things that you can do within a relationship that might be healthy? It might be a healthy relationship. We're just having an issue right now. What would you tell them, Arnell? Michelle, repeat that. I want to make sure I understood you correctly. Okay. So when you were in a relationship or somebody comes to you and says, you know, this is my past. I've been in multiple abusive relationships. I'm in one now that looks healthy 
but this person is starting to do certain things and I don't want to throw the relationship away because of my past. What are some things that you would tell that person to, to make sure they understand if this is actually a just conflict yeah. resolution in a healthy dynamic. And so they're not focusing on, no, this is abuse and I'm leaving. Oh, I see. What I like to do is um, I like to look at each of the individual actions that, you know, they are, they're noticing. And after we look at them, one, is the person purposely, is this action, do you feel is purposely being done to make you feel bad or to make you feel a certain type of way? Or if you just sit and look at it, is it more so you're kind of causing yourself to feel this type of way and this person actually has... I'm going to say no ill will towards you. And, you know, for somebody that's been abused, it can be tricky to kind of distinguish between the two. But um, that's what I like to do. And we'll even role play a little bit to try to try to get, get, the, get the feelings, get, get the emotions in there to see if we can actually distinguish between the two. But I like to look at each individual action to find out, hey, is the person being malicious? Do you feel the person is being malicious? Or is this just, you know, something normal? And I try not to give them the answer. I try to let them find out for them, figure it out for themselves. But, you know, in certain instances, I will educate them and let them know that, hey, this is a healthy part of a relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how about you, Keisha? Same, same dynamic. Someone coming to you and feel that they are in a healthy relationship, but certain, they've had their first conflict and some of the behaviors to that individual feel like this person might be an abuser. What would you say to them? Um, I would say um, let's pretty much let's look at the situation at hand. I would want to definitely dig into more details of the event, what took place, and I would ask that person. You know, if this was someone who's never been abused, um, why do you feel now that whatever this person has done or said to you, why does this make you feel uncomfortable? And if it's for a person who has been abused, definitely I would ask them, you know, what are your triggers? And if they didn't know their triggers, we would work with that part first to figure out what's their individual triggers. Um, but if this person is feeling unease and they feel like it could be possibly abuse, I feel like it's something that cannot be, you know, overlooked. Um, I say that once again, from my personal experience, it started off with mistrust, like, you know, this person didn't believe anything I said in regards to my whereabouts. And they put on the victim stance so heavily until, you know, it made me feel like, oh, poor him, you know? So um, I definitely, going back to the question, if we're dealing with someone who's been abused, we need to know what your triggers are. Let's see, you know, let's break this down and see, did this person really mean you any ill will? Or, you know, is this just part of what comes along with a healthy relationship? And um, for a person who's never been abused, I think that would be um, just alarming for me because they definitely can sense that something is off, you know? For both of them, definitely is alarming. But for the person who's never been abused, you know, I really would want to know, you know, and help them figure out what part of whatever took place in this event is making you feel uncomfortable. I want to highlight again for anyone listening, the purpose of this episode is to allow you to unpackage 
especially if you have had abuse in your past, what healthy conflict resolution looks like or just conflict resolution versus abusive interactions. So I always go back to how do you feel? Like at the end of the day, I'm not going to tell you you're not in an abusive relationship. I mean, that you're not. I'm not ever going to say that's not abuse because it's not happening to me. Okay? So even if I hear a story from somebody and I'm like, well, I might have handled it differently. But if that person feels that they're being abused and that person's being abused, perception is reality to that individual, right? So I definitely tell people you want to look at the situation, but if you at any moment are fearing for your safety, it's abuse. If you are fearing for your life, then we need to step back and look at the situation. And like Arnell and Keisha said, looking at each individual situation to find out where it's mapping to in the brain, right? Different things will map to different parts of the brain. Somebody could have threatened me with a gun in my, one of my abusive situations. I could have been threatened with a gun. Now, fast forward a few years, I could be in a situation where my partner has a gun and doesn't go anywhere without it. I could view that as being abusive abusive to me because I don't know if I might say the wrong thing and now he has this gun on him he might point it at me like I remember having the gun pointed at me in the past but him carrying a gun around for his own personal safety that's not abuse now here's where it turns when I tell him you having a gun on you at all times around me makes me uncomfortable and he chooses not to have a discussion about it after I them why then that's something that we need to talk about a little bit more you know what i'm saying but at the end of the day is he carrying the gun to be a threat to you and that's where what arnell and keisha said you have to really unpackage each situation and have i always recommend have an outside uh somebody to kind of hear somebody that you trust to say uh you know what i think you're being a little bit hyper vigilant with that behavior Cause I've had, I've had close friends, um, Keisha included will tell me like, ah, Michelle, I don't, that's not the way it sounds. And you have to have that because if you are program, um, well, I don't want to use the word program, but if you have been in situations where you're already always expecting this type of behavior, that's what you're going to look for. That's what you're going to look for. So if you are feeling threatened, if you feel that your safety is at risk, by all means, there is a situation that you need to look at leaving. There's no relationship where you should feel abused and threatened or be abused. But if you are in a relationship where you guys are having conflict now, you know, there hasn't been any past situations within that connection where you have felt abuse, then talk to somebody that you trust to see. But here's the thing, when you talk to them, make sure you listen, you know, um, because a lot of people can give you sage advice because they're on the outside of the situation looking in definitely. But if there are any questions, if you are in abusive relationship, definitely go to the national domestic violence hotline website. And that's www.thehotline.org. You have tons of lists and questionnaires to find out if you are in fact in abusive relationship 
Or is it more just learning a different way to do conflict resolution within a healthy one? But you have to know the difference. You have to know the difference. So before we end, I'm going to go to Arnell. Is there any last bit of advice that you would give to anybody who, you know, they, they, they're in a relationship. They feel that it's a healthy relationship, but they are experiencing conflict. Is there any advice you would give them to allow them to say, okay, how do I handle this to make sure it's not abusive? And if it's not work on my conflict resolution skills. Um, I would say, I would say get an outside person to get a third party opinion and, you know, not the best friend that you, tr that you may trust. That's going to, you know, agree with everything you say, but you know, get somebody that actually challenges you. Yeah, that sucks. Cause that's me. Hey, Keisha could be dead wrong. <laughs> Keisha could be dead wrong. And I'd be like, mm, whatever. It's all his fault. <laughs> yep, that's me. I'm sorry, but at least I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. Girl, don't get that friend. Get a friend that could tell you when you're wrong and you know you're wrong. <laughs> Now, see, that's what I do for her. <laughs> that's the friend you need for this situation. No, like, yeah. I'll, I'll turn it down afterwards. After I'm done having the attitude, I'll be like, okay, let's look at it. But <laughs> yeah, that's it. Initially, that's it. the friends are never wrong. I'm like, whatever, he is straight garbage. <laughs> Period. But yeah, that's what you, that's what I'd recommend. You know, whether it's a counselor or another mental health professional, or just you know that trusted friend, like you know Keisha and Michelle are to each other. Uh, have them, have somebody on the outside looking in on the outside, you know, actually look at the situation. That way, you can get an honest opinion because you know they're not in the middle of it. So, yeah, that's what I'd recommend. Awesome, thank you. And how about you, Keisha? What would you recommend to somebody who might be listening and saying, "I don't know if this is abuse or am I just..." so hyper vigilant that just conflict resolution or conflict is abuse period what would you tell that person um i would agree with what you know what arnell was just saying to definitely talk to someone who's going to give you some good advice and not just go along with you but you know give you some sound advice and help you work through it um being abused is it's embarrassing so sometimes it's not as easy just to open up and tell somebody what's going on. You know, um, people tend to kind of keep it to themselves and cover it up with makeup, whatever they can cover it up with, um, just to not share. So just sharing with someone is a big deal. So just making sure the person that you're sharing it with is someone who can help you work through the situation and not just be like, well, at least you got somebody. Oh, girl, he loves you. But look what he just bought you, even though he did that, he loved, you know, you want somebody who's going to definitely, you know, hopefully it's a professional. But if it's not a professional, hopefully you have a very good friend um, that can give you some wise counsel. Absolutely. And I would tell anybody, it's easy to talk to a domestic violence advocate. If you have any question about your relationship, you can call, like I said, the hotline and, or go to the website and they can give you the, your local domestic violence agency contact. And they can definitely be that third party that we're talking about. They can definitely be somebody who's trained to know what to look for. I've been working with domestic violence in trauma for the past almost 20 years now. I'm not going to date. I'm not going to date myself. I don't care. I'm in my 40s, so what? 
But I've been, I mean, most of my life has been devoted to victims of domestic violence. So I'm definitely geared to see certain red flags. But because of that, there's a level of hypervigilance just because of the field I work in that something that might be something so small and not a, a, a reason to be concerned at all could possibly be one and now changes that dynamic in the relationship. And like Keisha said, it takes a lot for somebody to talk about this. No one wants to admit they're a victim. Right. And for people to admit victimization to you, if you're that trusted friend, please understand the responsibility that comes with that. Because to admit that you're a victim, that that that's that's huge. I had somebody with a black eye and her her mouth was all swollen and when i said victim she said oh that's not who i am i'm not a victim and i'm like okay well let's call you a survivor let's call you a survivor so words matter words matter so just the mental psychological impact of saying i'm a victim of abuse is huge so if somebody shares that story or if you're a partner of somebody who tells you their story of victimization, there's a level of responsibility that comes with that. So just be aware that some people might have triggers that you have no idea, but you have to have that conversation. And that's kind of where I'm going to leave it. Transparency of the relationship is healthy. If the relationship is healthy, vulnerability and transparency shouldn't be an issue. So sharing your abuse story with your partner shouldn't be an issue if the relationship is healthy. And that's going to allow a space of growth and healthy conflict resolution that won't trigger your abuse wounds, those psychological abuse wounds, okay? If the relationship is unhealthy, you don't feel safe enough to tell this person your story, that's an indicator right there that we have a problem. So again, we're not going to tell you if you're in an abusive relationship or not, but we did provide you with commonalities of what abusers typically look like or have ways of repeating certain behaviors, but also different things that look like abusive triggers that might just be conflict. And you have to learn how to handle that in a healthy way without damaging a potential healthy connection. So hopefully that makes sense. There's a lot of talking going on. This was a heavy topic. So as we sign off, I just want to um, give our nether mic one last time to, if there's any last word of advice for anybody listening, either the victim or the person supporting a victim, what would that advice be? Uh, to get help. Like if you feel like you're being, if you feel like you're in an abusive relationship, you know, get help. I mean, Michelle mentioned it. There is, you know, it can be shameful to admit, but you know, it's, I'd rather see the person get help than, you know, staying in a relationship that's constantly going to tear them down. So yeah, get help. Right. Absolutely. How about you, Keisha? What would be the last uh, bit of advice that you would get as we um, go ahead? and? Um, I would say the same, get help definitely get help and if you're someone who's supporting um someone that's being abused uh if you don't know what to do more than the advice you've given them and they're still in that situation then you know you reach out to a victim's advocate for that person 
or you know get additional help for that person too if they don't have the um strength to do it then be a, be the support to not only listen and give sound advice but get additional you know go beyond don't just stop there to make sure you get that person the necessary help that they need right but always remember at the end of the day is going to be up to the person to make the decision to leave if you are that support person but like Keisha said you can have the resources on standby so if you are that person they call when they make that decision you'll have everything that you need and my last word of advice would be if you are questioning if you're in an abusive relationship then i definitely that is enough right there to talk to somebody if you have to question the fact if this is abuse that's enough for you to reach out and talk to somebody and you don't even have to talk to somebody you can just pull something up online but do note that when you search stuff online save your histories and, and your cookies and stuff on your computer so you might want to do this on something that can't be tracked um if, if that is a potential concern so that's going to close out this topic again it was a very topic but i think much needed for this month and i want to thank arnell Keish for being co-pilots today you guys have been amazing and if you haven't listened to our 30 day challenge already that's check it out i mean it's definitely different from the topics that we're discussing on our episodes but it's a nice 10 break 10 minute break each day from the real world so definitely check out alice and the white rabbit and see what's going on over in that land but thank you all so much for listening i'm glad you guys stopped by and until the next episode you guys take care stay safe and be well hey i hope you enjoyed this episode and remember even though mental health concepts might have been discussed we are not a replacement for professional help and if anything triggered you in this episode please reach out to your local professional mental health specialist to seek assistance you can also find us in the webs at the looking glass podcast on instagram and also on our youtube channel through the looking glass check out some of our inserts check out some of our guests and our links to other guest podcasts thanks for listening can't wait to talk to you again